This year, you have gone above and beyond as a church. You saw the need and you met the need. Your incredible generosity has enabled Sagebrush to undertake 10 additional mission projects in 2023 so that we may continue to fulfill our mission of making Christ known. We've already shared with you about the churches that we've been able to help build in Burkina Faso and in Tanzania Arusha. Now, we are super excited to work together on two more projects. In Togo, we are blessed with an opportunity to pour into a community that needs a church and other building facilities. Because of your generosity, Sagebrush has given $28,000 to make that happen. And in Myanmar, we were able to give $56,000 to build a sports facility and reach young adults in that community. Check this out. Hello, I'm Jay Lee from Legu, Yangon, Myanmar. Uh, today I would like to say words of gratitude to the Sagebrush Church in New Mexico. I can assure you that the impact of this project will be very effective to the lives of those young adults in this area. I really appreciate your support and thank you so much. May God bless you all. This is your faithfulness in action. This is your generosity put to work. This is hope being spread across the world. Your generous contributions have enabled us to fully fund both of these buildings, bringing the Word of God to numerous communities and spreading Christ's love to those in need. Thanks to your support, we now have the chance to extend our assistance to six more communities in partnership with Trailhead International. This will help us build better facilities and enable our mission to know Christ and to make Christ known. I think over the past three years, we're coming up on a hundred different churches that we have helped uh, get permanent facilities. So that's something to be awfully proud of. And I just realize when you give your tithes and your offerings, it doesn't just stay here, but it goes all throughout the world, making an impact as we continue to spread the message of Jesus Christ as far as we possibly can. Well, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. You could be a million different places doing a million different things, but you've come to praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I also want to say thanks to everyone watching us on the stream and everybody watching us on TV. I also want to say a big thank you to all of our multi-site campuses. You know, if you're watching at home and you've got a chance to come to church, look us up on our website. You'll see all the locations that are there. There is a Sagebrush location, hopefully, near your neighborhood. So uh, if there is, make sure you come and be a part. We'd love to have you. Well, we've been doing this series called Stuck Between a Rock and a Hard Place. We've been going through the book of Daniel. And so let's get into the message today. Her name was Joan of Arc. She was 17 years old when she led the armies of the French against the English. There was one particular battle that she was leading them in. There were over 10,000 British or English soldiers. They all had it barricaded. She said to her other leaders who were there following her, she said, I intend to strike at the very heart of the barricade. We must go now. We must go now. And the leaders said, you're nothing more than a peasant girl. If you lead us now, not a single man will follow you. And this is what she said. She said, I won't be looking back. And she took off into the battle. All the men followed her, and history was changed that day. Martin Luther was tired of the indulgences, the practices of the Catholic Church that were corrupt. 
You see, in this time period, the Catholic Church was selling forgiveness of sins. It wasn't enough that Jesus bought and paid for the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, no, you had to go to the Catholic Church. You had to pay a certain amount of money. Then you could be forgiven of your sin. Or if somebody had died, somebody in your, that you loved had died, you would go to your priest and say, are they in heaven or are they in hell? And they had come up with this thing called purgatory that's not even found in the Bible. They said, no, he's in a limbo state. But if you'll pray and you'll give so much money, then we'll be able to pray for your loved one, and they'll be able eventually to enter into heaven. Now, friends, there's not one single verse of Scripture that says any of that's true. And if you've ever wondered how the Catholic Church got so rich, it was by doing these kinds of practices throughout their history. Well, Martin Luther, who was a priest at the time, said, this is ridiculous. This is wrong. He had read the Word of God. He knew what the Word of God said. So he went to the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he placed his 95 thesis on there. It was 95 accusations, 95 offenses that he had with the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church and bring it back to the Scripture once again. Well, for what he had done, uh, he was excommunicated. And uh, that was also, though, the spark of the Protestant Reformation. And history was changed as a result. Let's take about one a little more recent. Let's talk about Rosa Parks, 1955, segregation at an all-time high, even segregation on buses. You might find this hard to believe if you're a young person, you haven't studied this, but there was a day in time that, uh, that a person of color just couldn't sit on any seat in the bus. If a white person came in and a, and a person of color was sitting on a seat on the bus, it was lawful for the white person to say to the black person to get up out of their seat so they could rest their feet. Well, Rosa Parks had had a long day at work, and she was tired, and all she wanted to be was just left alone, and so she sat down in the bus minding her own business. When at one of the stops, a, a white businessman came in and told her that he wanted her seat. Well, let's just say that Rosa Parks wasn't feeling it that day. And maybe in her mind she said to herself, not today, Satan. I think that might have been what she said. I can't find that in any history book, but that just makes a lot of sense to me. And she refused to give up her seat. You ready for what happened to her? She was arrested for her crime. She was arrested for her crime. She lost her job. She also sparked the civil rights movement in Alabama. Martin Luther King Jr. came there and stoked that fire. They had a court case, and two years later, segregation was thrown out on city buses. All because somebody took a stand for what was right. Friends, if we look at history, we'll see one person after another who stands up when everybody else sits down. I think that's why we love this book of Daniel so much. Because he's such a person of courage. He's such a person of integrity. He just won't back down. He stays faithful and true to God. Well, last week we finished chapter 5. And if you weren't here last week or you've slept since we've been back together, uh, let me tell you what happened in chapter 5. King Nebuchadnezzar has passed away. The grandson, a guy named Belshazzar, has taken over. He's not a very good king at all. He's arrogant. He has no need of God. He doesn't want any accountability in his life. He's just pretty much run Babylon into the ground. And so God says, you know what? This is it. This is it. Judgment has finally come in the form of the Medes 
and the Persians. Remember, Daniel comes in there and tells him what the writing on the wall was about. Your days are numbered. This is your last day. Your kingdom has been taken from you. And so that's exactly what happened. Now, when this takes place, Daniel is 82 years old. Think about that. 82 years old and still going strong. Now, sometimes we we make jokes about people who are older. As I get older, I don't appreciate those jokes like I once did, to be honest with you. But let me tell you a funny joke. A couple of ladies were driving, elderly ladies. They could barely see over the dashboard as they're driving down the road. The woman in the passenger seat thinks that she's just seen the light turn red, and yet they've just gone right through the intersection. She thinks to herself, that's not good. I need to pay better attention. I think she just ran a red light. So she said, I'm going to pay better attention at the next light. Well, the next light kind of caught her unawares, and and she's like, I think that one was red too. i got to pay better attention. I need to see for certain at this third light. Well, they get to the third stoplight, and it's as red as it can be, and her friend just keeps on driving right through the red light. She turns to her friend, Mildred. She said, Mildred, you realize that you've just run through three straight red lights? You're going to get us killed. Mildred looked at her friend. She said, oh, am I driving? (laughs) 83 years old, still going strong. I hope that's said of you and me. I hope we will never use our age as an excuse for being too young or being too old to serve the Lord. Friends, here's my prayer for you. May may your final prayer on this earth be nothing more than a continuation of your very first prayer in heaven. May you serve the Lord with every fiber of your being as long as there's breath in your body. Well, there's a a new king now in town. His name is Darius. And and so he begins to think about how he's going to put his kingdom together. Let's look at it. It says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So, so Darius decides to divide his kingdom into 120 different providences, picks three guys to oversee those providences. One of those guys is Daniel. Now, what in the world was it about Daniel? Every single time he rises to the top. This is the third king that he's going to serve. So what was it about these kings that saw something special about Daniel? Well, one of my favorite verses of Scripture in the New Testament is Colossians 3.17. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think Daniel lived that verse out. Whatever he would do, whether in word or deed, he did it all for the kingdom of God. He did it all for God. He wanted to please God in everything that he said and that he did. Think about his life story. Daniel chapter 1. He's 15 years old. He's such a, a young man of integrity that when the king offers him food to eat that's been sacrificed to idols, he refuses to take of the food. It could cost him his very life, but he doesn't want to break the heart of God. He doesn't want to disappoint God. Then in chapter 2, the kid's 17 years old, and he's become a wise man. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he goes to all the wise men. He says, hey, tell me what my dream was. Give me the interpretation of the dream. No, the wise men could do it. 
So he gets ready to kill them for the phonies that they are. They go to get Daniel at his house to rally him up. And Daniel says, listen, first I ever heard of it. Can I have a little bit of time? Can I have a stay of execution? Can I call on the one true God? Maybe he'll reveal what the dream was and what the dream means. And sure enough, God was gracious. And when he tells Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was and the meaning of the dream, do you remember this? Nebuchadnezzar bows down before Daniel. Most powerful man, face of the earth, bows down before a 17-year-old kid. And what's Daniel do? He gives all the credit. He gives all the glory to God. Then in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, doesn't he? This time there's a tree that goes up to the heavens, and the tree is cut off. And so he calls all his wise guys in and says, I need an interpretation for this dream. Nobody could give it. Enter Daniel. He prays to God, and God reveals to him what the dream means, and the news isn't good. Now think about this. You're walking into the throne room of the most powerful man on the face of the earth. This guy's a crazy man. You know that, right? He's already a chapter earlier, built a statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, looks like him, and has forced everyone to bow down and worship that statue. And for those who didn't, they were thrown into a furnace. Do you think he cares about your life? Daniel has a choice to make. He's got to give bad news. Who wants to give bad news to a guy like this? But Daniel cares more about what God thinks of him than what anybody else thinks of him. He's going to be faithful to God. So he says, Nebuchadnezzar, because of your pride and your arrogance, your kingdom has been cut off from you. No one's going to bow down to you anymore. No one's going to honor you anymore. You're going to be out in the fields munching on some grass like the cows till you finally repent of your sin. Would you have that kind of courage? Would you have that kind of integrity? So, so Darius is putting this together. He looks at Daniel and says, well, this is a guy who says what he means. I mean, he says he's going to do something. He actually follows through. This is a guy who has unbelievable compassion. He puts the needs of other people ahead of himself. This is a guy who takes his relationship with God more seriously than anybody else I've ever met. Yes, I want him to be one of my leaders. In fact, look at this. Verse 3 says that Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He's going to be in charge. What's the principle here? You honor God, he'll honor you. You honor God, he'll honor you. So during this little time we've had together, we're doing this sermon series, I've been kind of poking at you a little bit, haven't I? Poking at you. Saying, hey, is there any area of your life where you're not honoring God? So let me poke at you a little bit more today. Do you honor God in the area of your finances? Because 70% of the people listening to my voice don't. You say, here we go again. Every time you're talking about this drives me crazy. Why do you talk about it so much? I don't want you to miss out on the blessing. You say, that's not it. Church needs money. That's what's going on. Did you not look at our financials? Open up the app. Open up the sermon notes. Scroll to the bottom. We're doing quite well. Why are we doing quite well? Because 30% of the people who go to this church are exceptionally generous. They care about the kingdom of God. They want to fund the kingdom of God. They've been blessed. So guess what? They want to be a blessing to others. What about you? So I just can't figure out why I can't get out of my financial hole. I just can't figure out why I can't get out of debt. I can tell you why. Because you're not honoring God. 
Malachi asked the question, will a man rob God? Of course he will. He'll rob God every day he gets a chance. He'll rob him twice on Saturday and Sunday, won't he? Will a man rob God? Yes, we will. We are sinners to the core of our existence. We want to build up our kingdom. We don't care about the kingdom of God. They're just going to waste the money anyway. We find every justification, don't we, for not tithing, giving 10% of the money that God's entrusted to our care to further the message of Jesus. We will come up with excuses like this. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he said, I don't tithe. I said, you don't? He said, no, but I serve. I serve. I give my time. I said, oh. Can you show me a verse of scripture that says that you don't have to tithe if you serve in the church? Is that in Second Hesitations? Where's that at? Where's that? Where do you find that verse of scripture? Because I've never run across that particular verse. And I said to my friend, I said, you know what's interesting? God requires both. And God deserves both. And you're going to miss out. You see the video of the mission stuff? And we're like, that's great. Do you have a piece of that? Now, if you don't give a dime to this place, you don't. You're literally sitting here having the ability, think about what we could do if the 30% became 50% or 70%. Think how much more impact we could make for the kingdom of God. You honor in God, he'll honor you. I've never met anybody who ties that says, man, I just don't know how I'm going to make it tomorrow. I'll tell you what, this this is rough. No, 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 I don't hear that. I hear people say when they tithe, God does more with that 90% than I've ever did with the 100% I kept before. I mean, it's amazing how God can take care of your finances when you actually trust in the almighty God more than the almighty dollar. Am I picking on you too much? How about with your mouth? You honoring God with your mouth? Or do you lie? Do you gossip? Do you use profanity? Do you use God's name in vain? Do you use substitute cuss words where everybody knows that's God's name in vain. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5, 4, there shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Let me ask you this, how's your your dating life? Is that honoring of God? Is it pure? Is it holy? How's your marriage? Is Jesus the centerpiece of your marriage? Do you pray together? Do you read God's word together? Is he truly the centerpiece? Do you talk about spiritual things? Is church a priority? Worshiping Jesus really, truly a priority of your life? You honor God, he'll honor you. You see, it's the small compromises that shipwreck us, isn't it? 1912, Titanic went down, didn't it? The unsinkable ship sunk. Why did they think that the Titanic would never sink? It was because of a new technology. They had made this hole, but before it was a hole that was just one piece. But of the Titanic, it was compartmentalized. Did you know that? The idea was that the hole was damaged and got water. If it was just one complete piece, eventually there'd be so much water that the ship would sink. But if you compartmentalized it, <laughs> well, then you wouldn't have a problem. You could take some damage, but it would, you could still float. You could still go. So what was it that sunk the Titanic? Was it a gigantic gash? No, it was not. It was six small slits across the side, just under the surface of the water. Six little compromises in the vessel that sunk it. So it is with most Christians, isn't it? 
It's the small compromises, the things that they blow up, blow off, the things that they ignore. Eventually, you take on so much water that you sink your life as a result. Well, word gets out that Daniel's going to be in charge. And guess what? The other two guys who were going to be in charge with Daniel before, they're not excited about giving up. And they're not excited about having an 83-year-old man become their boss. So they come up with a, a little plan. It says that this, the administrators and the satraps try to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were, get this, unable to do so. They found no corruption in him. Can you believe that if a politician could be, that could be said of them? That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, well, we're never going to find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so it can't be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Okay, so the only weakness that Daniel has is in regards to his God. They know he won't compromise any area of his life, and he won't compromise his faith in God. So they come up with this plan, don't they? We'll just say, hey, man, Daniel, you can't pray to anybody else except to the king for the next 30 days. If you do, they're going to throw you in the lion's den. Now, when Daniel heard about this edict, what, what do you think he was thinking at this point in time? Because he has lots of options, don't you think? I mean, he could, he could do this if he wanted to. He, he, he could accept the law and just kind of fake pray for the next 30 days. Like, I'm, I'm praying to the one true God on the inside, but I'm kind of faking it on the outside. Some people fake it till they make it, right? That's what they do. That's an option for him. He could also do this. He could publicly protest the law with picket signs. He could go out in the street and say, this law's not fair, this law's not right, but this is the law of the Medes and the Persians. This is not a democracy. That's not going to work so well for him. He could also do this one. He could appeal privately to the king. Hey, Darius likes him a lot. Obviously, he's going to put him in charge. He just goes in there and says, man, I, I need to be the exception to the rule. I mean, you put this lame law into effect, I can't obey it, so you need to make me the exception so I don't face the lion's den. There's no place in Scripture that says that Daniel chose that one either. How about this one? He could just keep praying to God, but just do it in secret. Keep the window shut. Don't let anybody know what you're going to do. So what would you do? Oh, there was one more option. He could pray as he's always prayed. So which would you choose? Would you choose one of these? Or would you choose this one? One of these? Or one of these? You say, oh, I'd do that, Todd. You, you, you sure about that? I bet you pray before you eat in your home, don't you? Thank God for the meal and for his provision, his blessing. But when you're in a restaurant, do you ever talk to God in front of everybody at that restaurant? Or would you be too embarrassed, too ashamed?
You like to talk about God in your small group. Talking about it all the time. Look forward to your small group time together, right? When's the last time you went across the street and talked about God to your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus? Or to your coworker, or or to your classmate? Which would you choose? See, we're so confident we would choose this one, aren't we? But the truth of the matter is, we might choose something else. This was a test. God's testing Daniel. Even at the age of 83, he's being tested. Will you still be faithful? Will you still do the right thing, even though it might cost you your very life? You do realize that the entire Bible is about this, right? I mean, there's one test after another. For example, I mean, Noah, the test for him was, would he start cutting the first plank? And then the next plank, and then the next plank, because it took him 120 years to build the ark. But he was faithful to the one who had always been faithful to him. How about Abraham? What was his test? Well, go kill your son. Your one only son, the son you've waited your whole life for. God says, listen, I want you to prove to me, Abraham, that I'm more important to you than your son is. So you sacrifice him up on the mountain. And Abraham was willing to do it because he believed that if God wanted him to go through with it, that God had the power to raise his son back to life again. Of course, God was never intending for Abraham to kill his son. It was a test, but Abraham didn't know it. He was faithful, wasn't he? What was it for uh, Joseph? Well, it was uh, in the form of Potiphar's wife, wasn't it? Potiphar's wife grabs him by the coat and says, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. And I can see why. He's good looking. I mean, that's a six-pack like I've never seen before. I mean, this guy works out. He works out a lot, you know. What was Joseph's response? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He won't do it. He passed the test. For Moses, Red Sea on one side, largest army in the history of his time, the Egyptian army barreling down on the other side. And what's Moses do? Calls out to God to deliver him. He's faithful. How about Gideon? God says, Gideon, I need you to get an army together. Gideon says, you got it. So he gets a massive army together. And God says, you've got too many men. Gideon says, whoa, we're going to war for you. We need as many men as we can. He said, oh, no, no, no. God said, you can't, you can't go into war with that many men. You go into war with that many men and you win. You'll think you did it under your power and your might. No, 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 no. You've got to get that down. He whittles it down to 300. He's so outnumbered to the tens of thousands that he's going to be facing. Would you go forward with 300 against tens of thousands? No, you would not. Neither would I. They didn't even go in with a weapon. They crashed some jars. They waved a lantern. They shouted. And God confused the enemy army to attack itself. And on that day, Gideon, because of his faithfulness, found out that the battle belongs to the Lord. And what about David? What was his test? Well, it was a giant of a man over nine feet tall. His name was Goliath. He was defying the armies of God and God himself. And David said, that loudmouth loser needs to go down. And he ran out onto that battlefield. Nothing more than a slingshot and a stone. And he killed that giant and cut off his head. What's the test that God's got for you? Maybe it's tithing. You being faithful? 
Maybe it's your mouth. Oh, God set a guard over my mouth and I'm not sinning against you. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your dating life. Are you being faithful? Are you passing the test? So what what does Daniel do? Well, he keeps on praying like he always did. The Bible says in verse 10, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Listen, Daniel's relied upon God for the last 82, 83 years. He's not about to stop doing it now. And think about all the times he's been stuck between a rock and a hard place. And yet God, every single time, has been faithful to him. Every single time, Daniel has come out, you know, and done well because God honored him as a result of his faithfulness. So he continues to pray. I always wonder, what in the world did he pray? Do you think he prayed, thank you, God, for this new edict so I can show my faithfulness to you? Do you think he prayed for that? Because sometimes Christians get this a little bit jacked up in their head. They think they need to thank God for every circumstance. You ever talk to somebody and they say, I'm just thankful for this cancer. And you're like, what? I'm just thankful I lost my job. You are. I'm thankful that my friend stabbed me in the back. You are. And I just think that's a little cray-cray, don't you think? The Bible doesn't say you have to be thankful for the circumstance. The Bible says you be thankful in the midst of it. What do you have to be thankful for if you have cancer? I think it seems disingenuous that you thank God for the cancer. Why don't you just thank him that he's there for you? That he'll never leave you or forsake you. That he'll be your rock, your refuge, your shelter, your strength. When things go bad in your life, we can still be grateful in the midst of it because God's going to teach us lessons and mold us and shape us to be the person that he wants us to be. But do you see the difference between being thankful for something and being thankful in the midst of something? Listen, Daniel doesn't want to go to that lion's den. He's not thankful for this decree, but he will be thankful in the midst of it. Well, look at what happens. Those two losers find out that Daniel's praying, and they run to the king. And they say, hey, you remember that decree you said a few days ago about how if anybody prayed to anybody other than you, that you would throw them in the lion's den, and you sealed it with the seal of the Medes and the Persians? I mean, you can't reverse that. And king said, that's correct. They say, well, there's one in your kingdom who's praying to his own God. It's Daniel. And Darius realizes what those two guys had done to him. They set him up. And oh, how he wanted to reverse it. I mean, what's it look like when you're the king and you're going to kill an 83-year-old man? That's not a good look. And so he couldn't do anything else, and so he begins to lower Daniel into the lion's den. Before he does, he says, may your God whom you serve continually, may he rescue you. Now, here's, here's my question. What, 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 what do you think Daniel was thinking about as he's getting lowered in to the lion's den? The Bible doesn't tell us. I'll, let me just read between the lines for just a second. I think he was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you think? Because years earlier, his friends stood up for God just as he's standing up for God. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And yet, there was another in the fire who took care of them, who sustained them. They didn't even have a a, a singe in their hair. They didn't even smell like smoke. Because if you're faithful to God, He'll be faithful to you. I think He was remembering His friends. I think He was also thinking about that defiant moment when the king said, now what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? 
And what did the friend say? Our God's able. But even if he doesn't. And he's getting lower down that lion's den. I think he's saying to himself, our God is able. But even if he doesn't, I'm still praying. I'm still holding on. Look at this back and forth between him and the king. He says, may your God whom you continually serve rescue you. And then as they lowered him in, they shut the mouths. The angel of the Lord came and shut the mouths of the lions. And then the Bible tells us that King Darius didn't get a good night's sleep. Isn't that interesting? He tossed and turned the entire time. When morning came, he ran over the lion's den as quickly as he could to see if God had rescued him. He said, has your God been able to rescue you from the lion's den? And David call, Daniel called out, they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And then as Daniel was lifted out, they take those two losers and their family and they throw them in the lion's den. And even before they hit the bottom, the lions devoured them. Because when you're faithful to God, he'll always be faithful to you. Friends, I love the story of Daniel because here's a guy who just could have cared less about his circumstances. He was just constantly trying to figure out how he could change his circumstances to give honor and to give glory to God. He trusted God no matter what. And I just think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. They trusted the deliverer because they knew he's always faithful. And I think about Daniel going in that lion's den, trusting the deliverer because he knows that he's always faithful. And I think about Jesus going to the cross Trusting the deliverer because he's faithful. But that story has a different ending, doesn't it? You see, for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all free. They all walk away unscathed. But for Jesus, he dies for the sins of all mankind. Because Jesus knew in the wisdom of God that you can't have a resurrection unless you first have a crucifixion. Listen, you're going to go through it. I'm going to go through it. I think that's pretty obvious. We're all going to have hard times, difficult times. What are you going to do in the midst of it? What are you going to do when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place? This is what I've decided. Hopefully you have as well. Naked I came in this world. And naked I'm going to leave it. So between those two naked moments, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, no matter what. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, give us that kind of courage. Grant us that kind of faith. Test us. Test us, Lord, so that we might show our faithfulness to you. Lord, may we surrender areas of our life we never thought we could. May we give you control of things we never thought we could. And Lord, when we find ourselves in harm's way, when we find ourselves with our life just caving in around us and nothing makes any sense, may we cling to you no matter what. May you use whatever it is for our good and for your glory. May we raise a hallelujah to you in defiant faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.